G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. I believe that we are in, you know, that real estate is a strong bet for a number of reasons. One, we already talked about inflation. Real estate's a hedge against inflation, right? People run to hard assets, gold, silver, even cryptocurrency, real estate. People are running to these hard assets. Two, before 2008, builders were building an average of 5 million houses a year. After 10, 2008, uh, builders have been, and, and this was for decades. It wasn't just a, a short-term thing. That was the average. Five, 5 million new houses hit the market every year. After 2008, only 20%, only about 1 million houses were hitting the market every year. So because, you know, builders went out of business, builders were gun shy, banks were less likely to lend to builders. All of these reasons, there was only 20% of the new houses that normally come online were coming online, right? Which again, creates scarcity and scarcity drives prices up. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Craddock. Chris is a nationally certified life coach in leadership and is a top real estate investor, closing on over 30 to 65 deals a month. Chris also hosts the Uncommon Real Estate Podcast, and he has a bunch of companies that 
consistently bringing close to $10 million in revenue year after year. His team, the Ruddocks Group, has just sold over $160 million in real estate volume in 2020. I'm really excited and pumped to have Chris on the show today, share his incredible knowledge and his insight into the world of real estate here in the United States. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Chris. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me here. Mate, my pleasure. And uh, as we we're saying in the green room, twice in one week, right? I was on your show earlier in the week with your with your awesome co co guest, co anchor, and uh, now I get to uh, reciprocate it back here on Investing in the US podcast. So great to have you with us, uh, mate. To kick it off, to kick, kick <laughs> tongue tied this morning on a Friday. To kick <laughs> it off, uh, I always ask my guests, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Well, I'll tell you, I love this question. And uh, Barbara Walters in her, that's one of my favorite books, How to Talk to Anybody Anywhere, Anytime or something like that. It says, this is the question to ask anybody that is a successful businessman. And so you are literally one of the only people that I've ever heard ask that question other than me. So I love the fact that you ask it on the podcast too. That's a, it's a great, great question there. So for me, honestly, the, uh, so I've got two memories. One was collecting rocks and selling it to people that felt bad for me. Like, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would buy any of these rocks I was selling, but I also um, made those little pot holders, like, like weave the pot holders and I went door to door selling them 50 cents for the little nylon ones and a dollar for the cotton ones. And I made a bunch of money just selling them. And I, I, I doubt people even used them or wanted them or cared about them. But I think it was like this like little four or five year old kid wandering around asking like, like having hustle that people are like, man, got to respect the hustle. <laughs> no, that, that's awesome. I actually remember when I was really young, like yourself, I used to sell bags of small dirt, like this dirt that I would grab from my parents' garden. And just like, who wants a, like in a sandwich bag, you know, like one of those Ziplocs It's like, it's not even enough to do anything with, but like looking back, you're like, well, that's odd. maybe someone wants to buy bags of dirt because that was the, the product that was plentiful that I could go dig up from my parents' garden. But it's uh, that's awesome. We've got uh, something in, in common, but mate, walk us through your, your upbringing and into the world of becoming an entrepreneur. Was there a life before what you built to date? And, and, and talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, the crazy thing is, I mean, I was a mess as a kid, um, just a total mess. Right. So, um, I got into, uh, I got into a lot of stuff and I'd be dead or in jail if it wasn't for me getting involved with young life and having my life changed. So, um, but I was an entrepreneur, even at the time selling things that were, uh, they're not, most of it's not as illegal as they used to be, you know, in the States anymore, but that was what I started doing. I've got young kids now and I can't even believe the stuff I was into as a 13 year old. I mean, it was just crazy, but yeah, entrepreneur, you know, selling street side pharmaceuticals and we'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, but then, uh, you know, life changed a little bit and, and because of the, the change, I mean, I, I straight up would be dead or in jail right now if it weren't for getting involved with Young Life and, uh, and have my life changed the way it did. So I went on staff with Young Life and then was on staff with my church as a pastor. And, um, you know, and then, you know, honestly, it, it changed my life and I was a salesperson, right? Like I was selling, you know, what I still believed to be the greatest product of all time, you know, change your life all, as far as that's concerned. And uh, through the process, 2000, I got married. 2003, my wife got pregnant. And I was working, you know, as 
you know, working in, in your life, I was making between twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year. And in the DC area, you can't live on twenty twenty five thousand a year. But we wanted my wife to stay home and raise the kids, so um, I went to the library, checked out every book I could on real estate investing, and went and started knocking on doors of distressed properties before I knew a clue. Like I cannot believe how little I knew. Um, but I always say imperfect action trumps perfect inaction, right? And so I just started knocking on doors, and within four months. I made 12 times what I made in a year. And uh, I'll tell you, it was, it was crazy. So it allowed me to continue doing ministry stuff and allowed us to buy the house we live in now. We're, we're actually building another house currently. Um, but then the money started running out as I started having more and more kids. I've got six kids now. Wow. And, oh, I know it's crazy, man. I, once I figured out what caused it, I could stop it. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, so I started flipping houses again and, I'd always led large groups of people in ministry. I'd, I'd gone back to school. I'd gotten a doctorate in leadership. And so, um, you know, just leading people has been like a passion of mine. And so I came across Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Agent book. And, uh, um, you know, I ended up getting licensed as a real estate agent. And I guess it was December 2014, we launched our real estate team. And um, since then, uh, you know, I have 11 different streams of income at this point in time. A number of them are seven figure, uh, businesses and yeah, they're, yeah, it's, it's just been, it's just been incredible. It's that's been a awesome. fun ride. That's awesome. And so it all, it all came from the fact that you weren't earning enough and you just took action to go out and find something different. Uh, you definitely struck me as a guy that's full of energy. So I, I could see that, you needed to, to, to harness the energy into something to, to make it grow into, into what it is today. So that's, that's well, well done. Um, talk to me about, because I've actually had David Osborne, one of the early uh, guys of Keller Williams on the show, uh, a really, really uh, inspiring guy. Um, talk to me about what the business is that you've grown today. And you, mo you mentioned multiple streams of income. A lot of the listeners on this show are real estate investors, but they also don't, you know, the, the average real estate investor looks at, a, at an agent or a brokerage as like, oh, they're just there to, you know, provide a service, but it's actually quite profitable. Um, do you want to walk us through how you built the business in and around creating a, an agency? Yeah. So, I mean, here's one of the things that I, I remember hearing a long time ago. Um, so, uh, the phrase, you know, the, the business phrase that, that most of us have probably heard of, and if you haven't, it's really a powerful one. It's called vertical integrations, right? Yep. yep. So you're already doing stuff and how do you add more to it? And that's actually what I built um, my coaching business around was, was people that are already paying for things. How do you make the most of what you're already paying for? Well, my business coach said to me, um, you know, I think a couple years in the business, he's like, Chris, why get paid one time on a transaction when you can get paid five times, right? Why get more clients when you can get more of the client? Well, I think it's both, but you know, that's the whole thing. And so when, when you can get paid on, you know, the purchase as, as a listing agent, as a buyer's agent, uh, you can get paid. I have an insurance company. When you get paid to, to help people with insurance, when you can get paid to help people with title, right? When you can get paid, um, my wife runs a lending, um, you know, a lending branch. When you can get paid on the lending side, when you know, like there's all of these different pieces across the board, you know, construction, hard money, uh, I, I mean, just flipping, uh, buy and hold properties, um, coaching, uh, you know, I'm part of EXP and EXP has a really robust downline for anybody that comes in under you. Um, so like all of these different places, um, essentially 
are, are just different ways that you can get paid doing the same thing. And so I'm, I'm actually rereading uh, good to great right now, which I read in the past, but for, I don't know why I quote it all the time, but it's been years since I've read it again. And uh, I'm just rereading it right now. And, and the flywheel is, is the retail business, right? The retail business makes so much business happen. And then, you know, you can throw construction business from there and title and all these other things. The flywheel creates all of these other opportunities. And, and I love that. I talk a lot about on this show, business ecosystems, which is the, it's around the same thing, vertical integration and getting paid multiple times in the one transaction. And I think it's so important and I keep harping on it that that's in my opinion is how true wealth is created. It is about having a little piece of all parts of the pie, not just having the one piece, which might be, you know, buying, in our case, in my case, buying real estate, you know, maybe I can do property management. Maybe I can do construction management. Maybe I can get into, you know, on my, on my side of the fence, we've got material sourcing from, from, from the Asian markets. How do I profit on those types of things? So it's, it's really, really interesting. And, and after doing this show for nearly six years and interviewing so many, many incredible entrepreneurs, the one thing I see the most common thread is that they start with one thing, i.e. real estate investing, and then grow the ecosystem around that to, to, to really encompass those multiple streams of income. So absolutely love that. Talk to me about how you're seeing today's market coming out of COVID. How'd you guys fare, I guess, first going through COVID in last year? And then how you how you transitioning and seeing property prices skyrocket across the United States right now? And really across the world, but let's, let's, let's face it. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, at the start of COVID, we had about $150,000 a month in overhead, right? That goes out whether we sell a house or not. Now it's, it's much higher than that. But I still remember, um, you know, I, just to be honest, like I kept hearing rumblings about it, but I just, you know, there's always wars and rumors of wars, right? There's always, everybody always has reasons why they want to ball up and not go out and make stuff happen. Right. And so I just didn't think anything of it. And then I still remember the one night my wife walks into the bedroom. Um, I was getting ready for bed and she's like, Chris, the world is shutting down tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, right. I, I've been hearing this for a long time. Right. Whatever. And she's like, no, read the news. <laughs> the news is like lockdowns in place. This, 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 this. And I'll tell you, I had a moment of absolute panic and freak out because I'm like, man, we've done really well. We've got a high net net worth, but we can only go so, and, and literally I just bought some stuff in cash that I was like going to be turning around. And so like, I was not cash heavy at all. I was very cash light. And uh, so I was like, Holy crap, bad. This is bad. This is really bad. Like we can go for so long. And I thought about all of our people and I'm like, man, I can't leave them to fend for the wolves. So, you know, I, we, as I was sitting there freaking out, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep paying our people. But with that said, I, you know, I can only pay them so long you know, before, before the well runs dry. You know, if we sell no houses, 150 a month goes out, you know, how long can it go? So let's hope, let's hope it comes back. But then, then it turned out to be one of the best years that we could have ever dreamed of because when people were stuck inside, they realized that, man, I don't like living here. I'm going to go find another place, you know, or, or whatever, all of those different things. You know, the investment side of my business started cranking. Um, you know, I started the coaching, uh, I started to coach on the, uh, on teaching 
like investors, how to monetize some of their, their deals that were dead deals, how to create vertical integrations and what they're already buying. So all of these things just kind of cropped out of what I thought was going to be one of the scariest times of my life. It turned out to be one of the best business times I could have ever dreamed of. It's, it's so funny that you're looking back on it because I'm sure in that moment you were freaking the hell out. Like you wouldn't, no one thought, even you know, my side of the fence, no one thinks that all of a sudden, the, everyone talked about the K, the, the, the V-shaped recovery, but no one knew how long it was going to last, right? Was it going to be more U-shaped or was, you know, so to have that bounce back. And I guess the question is how long, how quickly did it, did you start, you go from that panic? Did it take a couple of months? Because I know on my side of the bench, we were really panicking about rent collections in April and May and June. What type of period of time did you start to think, okay, I can see the light through the, t- uh, light through the trees? Well, I only had, so I personally own a bunch of rental properties as well. And I only had one tenant even ask about, even ask about not paying. So right away when I, I wasn't hearing, I'm just like waiting the whole time. I'm like, okay, when are they going to all ask to stop paying? Um, and then when all of a sudden the market just caught fire and I'm like, okay, when is it going to fall apart? When is it going to fall apart? And then I think it was, probably around June where uh, June or July where I was like, okay, because then I started to understand some of the economic pieces there that, um, that the government's just printing money and creating inflation and that uh, real estate is one of the best bets against inflation. And so all the institutional money, all the re- anybody that has cash is going to start dumping money into real estate, which, you know, created what happened earlier this year with this crazy scarcity, which, you know, drove prices up. And so then all of a sudden I realized like what the economy was doing and, you know, that we didn't have to worry because, you know, good things are, are going to come out of this for the people that are in the real estate market. Now, the crazy thing is, Again, you know, I don't know where everybody stands politically, and, and I know sometimes this gets politically charged, but I, I love Ronald Reagan's uh, quote, you know, the worst, the scariest words in the English language are, uh, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, what, what ended up happening was because of all of these programs, the government just printed so much money, and then that forced so many people, the, the inflation happened, and what happened was the value of real estate went way up. So the people that were wealthy and had money in real estate just became much wealthier. And the people that were not wealthy enough to have real estate, it made getting into real estate a lot harder and anything they had because of inflation got devalued. So the poor got poorer and the rich got richer because of what the government did in the last 12 months. I mean, literally, I think, I think 30% of all dollars in circulation were printed in the last 12 months. It's, it's crazy, which is giving us this 6% inflation that we're looking at in the next 12 months. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. And, and look, and I'll I'll be the the, the international voice here. That, that it's happening across the world. Like back in my home country of Australia, it's happening in Europe. And I think a lot of people, to that point, were lessons learned from two thousand and eight. Right? Let's not be slow getting the, the tap going. But then the tap can be on for too long, and you got you got a flood. 
right? So it's, it's, it's also, you know, having this, 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 this opposite effect. So let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing in your local markets. And maybe you just want to, for the listeners, talk about where, you, where you're currently seeing deals and doing deals uh, in, in terms of market and then turn into how you've seen that from uh, your brokerage company in terms of the, 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 the spike in property prices. And do you think that's going to be maintained? Yeah, I, I do think that we're going up. You know, I, I talk about this on my, <laughs> I, you know, I love, I nerd out on this stuff. I love looking at this stuff. So almost every day I'm dropping uh, something on TikTok talking about economic indicators, right? Um, which is so funny because I feel like I need to dance or something if I'm going to be on TikTok, right? <laughs> so, but uh, I'm just like, you know, what? I'm just going to put this out there. And if, if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. It's, it's been really fun because, you know, lots of people are, are commenting. Some people tell me I'm an idiot and some people, they love, the trolls have come out to play, right? Um, but, it's, but it's really fun to look at. You know, I, I think, I believe that we are in, you know, that real estate is a strong bet for a number of reasons. One, we already talked about inflation. Real estate's a hedge against inflation, right? People run to hard assets, gold, silver, even cryptocurrency, real estate. People are running to these hard assets, Two, before 2008, builders were building an average of 5 million houses a year. After 10, 2008, uh, builders have been, and, and this was for decades. It wasn't just a, a short-term thing. That was the average. Five, 5 million new houses hit the market every year. After 2008, only 20%, only about 1 million houses were hitting the market every year. So because, you know, builders went out of business, builders were gun shy, banks were less likely to lend to builders. All of these reasons, there was only 20% of the new houses that normally come online were coming online, right? Which again, creates scarcity and scarcity drives prices up. So that, that's another piece. The, the next piece is um, we're seeing that interest rates are so, so stinking low that people were, are upgrading. They're moving out of their old house into their new house. And because money is so cheap, they're able to afford to keep the old house when in decades and in generations past, they weren't able to keep those old houses. So now they're keeping the old houses, which means less houses are coming on the market, um, pushing properties up, you know, again, creating more scarcity um, and pushing prices up. So I think for those reasons, and there, there's a number of other ones that I don't know that we have time to talk about right now, but I think for those reasons alone, we're seeing a lot of scarcity in the market. And uh, I, I don't see a lot of new houses hitting the market that are going to give us relief from that scarcity, which is going to keep us in a upward pressure in the market. Uh, and I, I will, I'll echo some of what you're saying there. I think if you look back at history, you know, and no matter where you, where you live, going across the world, there's always been a housing shortage, right? And no matter what time of like the late 90s, the 2000s, the 80s, there's always a housing shortage, right? There's always something. I think what I'm seeing and hearing and more on the commercial side and the brokers I'm talking to across different MSAs is also this transition. Like I was just talking to a broker the other day in Phoenix about like getting entitlement and trying to build more units is just becoming longer and longer. And I've had a lot of experience working in New York City and LA and in Austin where the red tape can be really, um, you know, through political action or inaction. Um, and that also causes uh, an issue with supply and demand, right? Where you've got le- not enough supply coming to uh, a market, but yet demand is high, then you're always going to have this housing imbalance. Thus, it's going to increase rents and thus it's going to increase the cost of buying properties and when wages aren't keeping up with that, it's, it makes it very, very difficult to, to offset that and, and, and you know, bring back a norm coupled with a, you know, quantitative easing. So a lot of things going on in that, but those things are all related to how 
we are seeing this such this, this, this V-shaped recovery, so to speak. But as you mentioned earlier, the rich are getting rich and the poor are getting poorer. And so how do we, you know, how as real estate investors, do we navigate that? What are we doing uh, in order to place our money? Because as, as you know, Chris, as I know, like I, my, my existing properties are looking freaking awesome, right? But now yeah. I've got to go buy new properties in today's market. Okay, I've got to now readjust my expectation of what I'm going to pay for, price per pound, price per square foot. So let's get into that second part of my question, which was how are you seeing the property prices grow over the last six to 12 months? What are you seeing in your, and what, again, where, where are you investing? What are you doing business in? What areas across the country? I'm, I'm in the DC area. DC, so, yes, you know, DC, Maryland, Virginia, and then, you know, I, I've got teams in Baltimore and also in, uh, in Richmond, but I also, you know, my coaching business is investors across the country. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at every, all, all across. I mean, we were seeing here locally, we, we had an average growth again, you know, I love looking at the numbers on all this stuff. So, uh, it was, it was just over 23% growth over the last year, um, which is insane, but we're also DC area, right? We got hit, we got, didn't get hit as hard in the recession after 2008 and we recovered faster. Um, because you know, even when the government shrinks, it grows. So it's like a big magnet just pulling people to this area. And so, um, so yeah, we're, we're a well-insulated area. We don't get the same cap rates, um, as other places, um, just because it's more expensive to buy, but our levels of appreciation tends to be higher. And also, you know, our, our equity and principal pay down safety for this area is, is really, really a strong, it's a strong area to be in. And what, listeners, what Chris is saying there is essentially, again, back to supply demand. When you've got a lot of demand to live in an area, guess what goes down? Cap rates, because the risk <laughs> of buying in a certain area is also diminished. Because when you come to sell a property, whether it be commercial or residential, there's going to be a lot, just a lot of buyers out there. You buy in a tertiary market, cap rates are going to be a lot more uh, expanded because there's not as, maybe there's not as many people in that, in that particular market who are going to come and trade with you once you want to sell. So it's all a measure of risk. Uh, again, going back to that supply demand curve. So um, Chris, how, how are you seeing the future hold for you and your business now coming out of sort of late 2021 now where, you know, this bloody second variant or third variant, whatever, I've lost count of how many variants there are. Um, <laughs> but but uh, what are you seeing coming into 2022 and, and how are you positioning your business differently from where you were that, that that night, your wife said we're shutting down and, and we're get, we're, you're going to be spending 150 G's a, a month on, uh, on on overhead. You know, I'm looking at, at 2022 and I, I see that we've got a strong outlook. So I'm just working to level up myself and in the different businesses that I'm a part of, right? So what am I doing? I'm, I'm just looking to be a better business owner. So learning how to how to create better dashboards and uh, you know and and read the numbers better. I'll tell you when. Uh, when you first start off, you know, everything's activity and skill, right? When you first start off, it's your business grows by, by extra hard work, right? And so I, I remember listening to Keith Cunningham. Um, he was talking about, uh, about that, right? It's, it's like you're, you're in a low performance vehicle when you first start off like a tricycle, right? You're just pedaling. You can only go as fast as you can pedal. But then every time you level up, you're, you're, the performance of your vehicle gets bigger, bitter, bigger and bigger and bigger. So just think about going from a tricycle to a bicycle, right? With a bicycle, you can go faster, right? But you have less points on the ground so you can crash harder. Then you move to a car, right? You can go faster. Now you've got a dashboard in front of you. You've got a tachometer, a dash, like all the other stuff. And then you can go to like the next level, which is like a jet plane. Um, and each time you do, it takes less effort to move it 
right? But but if you crash, it's a, it's a lot worse. And so that's kind of what what I see as I'm scaling up and growing as an entrepreneur is is learning how to to read the data and get to a place where it takes less effort um, to move faster, right? And so mm-hmm. that's that's what we're really focused on for for this next year. And and it's really really great, you know. I see with. Uh, with all the different businesses, you know, we're, we're even as this time of year, we tend to slow down. We're seeing that we're, we're up across the board on everything year over year, month over month. Um, so it, it's really good. And, and a lot of my coaching students, same thing, because we're, we're looking at how do we just, just make the most of every opportunity that we have. And I'll tell you for all of those business, all you business owners out there, if you can understand how to make the most of every opportunity you have, that is the, that is the best ROI you can get. Not paying for new stuff, but literally capitalizing on the stuff you've already paid for. You get the best return on investment when you can do that. 100%. Uh, I'm a bit of a data nerd myself. So what are, the, what are those key performance indicators you're trying to, to, to monitor better with your dashboard in 2022? Just, just, a, just a handful of them just for the listeners to understand what, what you're doing in your business. Yeah. So, so here's, here's one of them. So, so I'm trying to look at things across the board where I can look at a KPI and you know, in all of the different businesses I'm, I'm a part of. So one of the ones that we want to monitor is conversion rate, right? You look at conversion rate. If you take conversion rate from 10% to 15% or, or 25% to 40% or whatever it is where, where you're raising that conversion rate, all of a sudden, you know, what you focus on expands, what you focus on gets better. That's just the way life works. Right? You think about when you drive down the road. I bought a Ford Raptor a couple of years ago. Now, anytime I drive on the road, I see Ford Raptors. Right? I can't mm-hmm. miss them. Right? I didn't see them before, but now I see them. Right? The same thing's true. Is when you focus on something, you begin to start seeing it. Our brain. We would go insane if our brain didn't filter out things that we didn't tell ourselves is important. Right? So when we decide that this is important to focus on, then we can make it better. So if you start looking at stuff like like conversion rate, right? That's one of the big things there. Um, if you go from twenty. 20% to 40%, right? Think about the hundreds of thousands of dollars, the millions of dollars, the tens of thousands, depending on where your business is, of dollars that you make by just capitalizing at a higher level, right? And one of the things that you have to do is start asking yourself, whose fault is it? If, if these people were going to sell or these people are going to work with somebody in the next six months and they chose not to work with you, normally, like, let's be honest, most of us like to point other fingers on other people and be the victim and say, Oh, they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. But when we change our mind and say to raise our conversion rate, we've got to be the the common denominator, right? We need to say, if I had to do that a hundred times over and over and over again, meet with these people until I got the deal, what would I have done different each time? And could I have, could, is there a world in which I could have walked away with the deal? And if there is, I need to figure out what I didn't do right. Because then when I figure that out, I cannot make the same mistake again. That's called paying a stupid tax when you make the same mistake a second time, right? Or a third or fourth time. And so if you understand that, then you can level up and then level up and then you make a whole heck of a lot more money. You become way more profitable because you make a lot more money in a lot less time and a lot less expense. And I assume across when you say conversion rate, it's about getting those leads, right? And leads for me on my business is is new investors, but that comes probably down to marketing and it probably comes down to, uh, being very uh, precise with your approach and your, your your mission and your values and all that sort of stuff that really is going to 
help the person say, I want to do business with you. I think if I've, if I've probably read between the lines there, is that probably how you, you, you're getting to that higher conversion rate? Right, right. So, so like read for you, right? So, so any business, you know, that's not like syndications aren't a business that I'm in right now. Um, so, but let, let's just say I was in that business. If I were looking at, at conversion, these investors, a lot of people you're talking to are going to invest with somebody, with somebody. And if you meet with them or you give them your proposal and they choose that you're not the investment for them, but they're going to invest with somebody, then, you know, the reality is you probably could have made a more compelling argument, right? And if you figure out, okay, what could I have done differently to be more compelling to these people, right? Because I do believe that my investment is a great investment. I believe it's safe. I believe the returns are great. I believe all of these things, but they're not seeing what I'm seeing. My argument isn't compelling enough. And if I go back to the, instead of just continuing to send this out, because some people think it's compelling, I, I tweak it and make it better and stronger. All of a sudden, you know, instead of one out of three or one out of 10, I go to like, I double my conversion or triple my conversion. Then all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting such a better return on the same, same effort put out. Right. Oh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I, I love, sorry, I didn't just I, I love that because I do remember a story back when I first started raising money. I, I think I told it on your show earlier in the week was I approached 50 people to raise half a million bucks. And this is way back in the day. <laughs> and I heard crickets, right? And it was, it was a reflection of me not doing a good enough job. And this is years ago of one, my marketing material to my education process. Right. And three, just understanding as a, as a beginner, when you don't have a track record all those years ago, you, your, your conversion rate is going to be lower, so you need more people in the pool, right? Now, fast forward six, seven years later, when you get track record, you get experience and people trust you, that comes through time, but you can accelerate that through good marketing, through good messaging and good education. And I think, you know, I, I get a little bit off topic here, but it, it's good to talk, relate it back to businesses and conversion and how the underlying systems of what you do in your business and what I do in my business is really the same thing. Education, transparency, and building that track record and, and, and trust because that, that that's easier to get an easy yes than a long no, right? Because you're right. spending too much money. So I love that. And, and, and even to myself, like, what am I going to do? Like go through fuel on the fire and spend a bit of money on marketing. Like it's got to be the targeted marketing, right? And, and I know you say you're $150,000 a month. I'm sure within that 150 grand, there's a lot of dollars in marketing that you're spending to get those inbound leads to go and double your conversion. So I absolutely love that, mate. Look, I know we're coming to the end of the show, but at the uh, what do you got personally planned for 2022? Six kids? Any, no, no more on the way, I could hope. No, no, no. I told you. I figured out what caused it. Now I can stop it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, you know, one of my – it's crazy. I've got everything from a high school senior to a kindergartner. So um, – want to spend some time with, with the kids, um, before Katie graduates. Uh, so that's, that's really important for us, like some trips, um, some fun stuff. We decided to stay and go to Florida this year instead of normally we go over new years, we go out of, out of the country, but, uh, just with all the COVID stuff, like I'm not as worried, I'm not as worried about a lot of the COVID stuff, but what I am worried about is paying for a vacation site and then not have letting us leave the country. Like <laughs> that is what I was more worried about than anything else, which I hope that's not offensive to anybody, but, uh, no, um, but, uh, that's, that's the whole thing there. So we decided to just pick a place, Destin, Florida, where they have the crystal water beaches. So I'm, I'm excited about that. 
Um, never been there, but I've heard so many people say it's great. So I'm like, all right, I want to go someplace where it's somewhat warm and where the beaches are clear, um, where I don't have to worry whether the, whether they're not going to let us out of the country. So that was, uh, so we're doing that. And then, uh, yeah, other than that, you know, I'm really focused on, on raising our conversion rates, um, growing, you know, if anybody out here has a direct to consumer, uh, marketing, like you're, you're either a wholesaler or a fix and flipper. Um, we're building the, co- the coaching business up, uh, teaching people how to monetize those dead leads, right? Because most of the time, if you get 20 people that raise their hand and say, I want to sell, um, 19 of them are going to sell with somebody else. Um, how do you monetize those other 19? That's, that's what we teach people how to do. Make the most of that and really compress the decades and the days so that you don't have to build the whole thing over years, but you can do it, you know, pretty much takes two weeks to really set something in place. Um, so those, those are the things that we're really focused on, but yeah, man, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm excited. Like life is good. Business is good. Things are just going in a really good direction. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, at the end of every show, we'd like to get into the top five investing tips. Ready to get into it? Sure. Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, I've got, so I normally was a, uh, a nighttime person when I was growing up and through college. Um, but I, I saw the success leads clues and almost everybody, somebody's going to tell me at some point, some outlier that wakes up like around 10 o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever, and it rolls out of bed and does their thing and, and is successful. But uh, I found that almost all the people that I respect start early. They knock out the things that are important and they, uh, they know what their one thing is. And the one thing is defined as some, every, if, if you do this thing, everything else becomes easier and unnecessary. So my morning routine is, is focused on finding that one thing and really really focusing so that I, I can get the important things out and not just deal with the urgent. Love it. Love it. Question number two is who's the most influential person in your career to date? I would say, I mean, honestly, I, I did a life map and every time I've leveled up, it's always come uh, because of new relationships in my life. So I have a ton of different people, but honestly, I, I, like I said at the beginning, I'd be dead or in jail if it wasn't for my young life leader, a guy that came into my life and kind of taught me what it was to be a man when I was a punk kid that was doing really stupid stuff. So that's, that's probably the most, most influential person that kind of got my, my head straight. And then from there, I've just had, I, I've sought out mentors, um, people, when I hear them, I, on the, on podcasts or, or, you know, at, at conferences, I like their vibe. I just reach out. And so I've had, I have a number of people through the years that, uh, that I've reached out to and built relationships with that have helped me level up. Love it. Love it. Question number three is what's the most influential tool in your business? When I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a journal or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you can't run your business without. What is it? Um, well, can I say the higher that a higher than I made? Yeah, of course. Account? People are, 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 are tools. Yeah, of course. Not, 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 not literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't classify them as a tool, but like I, in, in that sense, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, uh, I would say the, uh, um, having a COO in my business mm-hmm. because I'm such a, uh, a vision driven, um, mm-hmm. person having somebody that can implement the ideas and also somebody that he's somebody that I trust. So when, when I get focused on shiny objects and get, get undisciplined in my focus, he can also ask the question, is this really where you want to be spending your time and helping me kind of come back to stay, staying focused. Just, just as an entrepreneur, I know that I can, I can see squirrels everywhere and, and uh, being able to stay focused, um, being able to have somebody in my life that is disciplined, is able to implement and uh, keep me focused is probably the best single thing that's happened in my business career. 
That's love it. Love it. Uh, one sentence, question number four. When one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that? Seeing that something worked and thinking that I could just go all in. It's, it's the hubris born of success, right? So all of a sudden you, you start to win and then you, you go all in before you build systems around it. And, uh, you know, in Zappos, they, they say that uh, businesses also oftentimes fail because of indigestion. They can't, they can't consume everything that they're taking in. So um, that happened to me. And that's another story for another day. But I uh, um, literally had about $10 million worth of debt that forced me to get out of that in the early 2010s um, that actually built the business that I have now. But, uh, you know, that was a crazy, crazy, crazy time. Awesome stuff, mate. And last question for you is where do people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I reached out to so many people early on in my career. I still do it. Um, so I wanted to be available to other people. So uh, on Instagram, I personally respond, not my assistants, like in other mediums, um, just because people were so generous with me. Um, so if you go to Instagram, it's at crad rock an old high school nickname. It's uh, not my last name, but C R A D D R O C K. Um, if you send me a DM, I will respond to that, uh, personally and, uh, maybe not right away because I do get a lot of them now, but, uh, um, but I personally will respond because people have been so generous with me on that. Um, also TikTok, Chris Craddock official. Um, and if you have a direct to consumer, like when you're buying houses, flipping houses, um, wholesaling houses, go to my website, chriscraddock.com. And I'd love to see if there's a place where we can help you, you know, really find vertical integrations in your business. Love it, my friend. Well, look, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away that I was busily writing my notes down here. I think the, the biggest thing that you said earlier was imperfect action beats perfect inaction. And that's a really important quote. And talking about you going from the different, from a tricycle to a bicycle, then going to a car to build your dashboard, then going to an airplane. I think that's a really great analogy. I'm all about analogy. I'm very visual. And it, you're right. Going fast on a tricycle takes a lot of effort, right? Going fast on a bicycle is a lot easier than in a car. And I just loved how you're now focusing on things within your business to help you build a better ROI. So building out your systems better with all of this stuff you're doing and using that data that it spits out to make better investment decisions in the future for the business. So I, I really, really uh, applaud you for that. Um, and, and the last thing you talk about is, is you know, uh, your, your business through the hard work uh, what you built today, I think it's really incredible. Uh, I really give you kudos for all that. But but did I leave anything out that you want to add before we sign off here? No, this is great. I'll, t- I'll tell you guys, um, last two things that I'll just say is this. Um, if you want to win in, in businesses, activity and skill, right? Talk to enough people and then work hard to get better at what you're saying when you talk to people. Like, you know, if you boil it all down, it's always just activity and skill. So yeah. work hard and then be better at what you say when you're working hard. Love it, mate. Love it. Well, look, again, thank you for taking some time out of your day. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a great weekend with the family and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Chris. Please check him out on Instagram at uh, Chad Rock. Uh, I think I've got a Crad Rock. Uh, And we're also going to have all the show notes, uh, all the links from him in the show notes up on my website at readgoosens.com. I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because it's what it's all about here on this show. There's no BS on this show. We're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.